You're listening to MTL Bike Thief, Episode 3, a pod play about rebellion and bike theft during Montreal's summer of protests. Be warned, it's full of swearing, violence, and terrible jokes. Remember, it's meant to be taken in the spirit of good humor, even if you don't think it's very funny. Chapter 9 and 3 quarters, the unnecessary out-of-order flashback. Smell bacon! Oink, oink! Greg was, for all intents and purposes, a piece of shit. As a child, he'd pull his sister's hair just to get a reaction. The louder the scream, the greater the thrill. <laughs> As he got older, the thrills came from headier places, tricking kids into emailing him their parents' bank information, canceling his parents' insurance before blowing the engine on their car, writing essays for other students, then flagging them for plagiarism. Greg wanted to break the system from within. I mean, he liked chaos, not unorganized chaos, but something he called political appendectomies. Yeah, cut out the things we never knew we never needed. Occupy Wall Street? Might as well occupy a shithouse. The real anarchists operate from within. Yes, Greg had a problem. A problem that Godwin turned into an asset. They focused his civil disobedience and channeled it into something productive. And so, two years of focused anarchy later, Greg found himself marching down St. Denis Street in a sea of 8,000 sweaty protesters in Montreal's Latin Quarter on a cool May evening in the spring of 2012. Education isn't a right, it's a privilege. Greg did not agree with her general ethos, but the chaos and subsequent violence appealed to him, to his problem so, side. So, so, his work so, that so, night would make him a maverick of the new world order, or a martyr of the revolution. Either way, it turned his knob up to 11. Cette manifestation a été déclarée illégale. This demonstration has been declared illegal. S'il vous plaît, dispersez immediately. The crowd shuffled back and forth in panic. Police commandeered buses pulled up at the top and the bottom of the street. Soon the SQ thugs in riot gear would squish the students together till they sooner resembled sardines and angsty teens. Greg would have to bust a move if he was going to make his rendezvous. Greg was neither patient nor gracious as he pushed his way through the throngs of people towards the alley off St. Denis. A few dozen protesters followed his lead, forcing a couple of the SQ to chase after them. Greg could already see the fire escape of the building where they'd agreed to meet. He could also see the SQ officer running up to grab him. The question was, did he feel lucky? Well, do you? <coughs> Like the bastard amphetamine-riddled child of Jason Bourne and James Bond, Greg kicked off the chest of the officer, propelling himself up the fire escape. Greg took no small amount of satisfaction in turning the officer into his own private stepladder, allowing him to climb the four-story tenement and escape the chaos. Up on the rooftop, he had a bird's-eye view of the battle happening down below. It was silly, violent, and ultimately futile. What a waste. A few broken windows, a few broken bones, and a couple hundred arrests. But at the end of an hour, not much had changed. Nothing was achieved, and Greg's interest was waning. As the hours stretched into two and the street below thinned out, he started to lose hope. To rouse his spirits, he lit the four-inch joint he had in his pocket. By the time the butt met the ash, someone else had climbed the ladder leading to the rooftop. They stared at Greg, palms sweaty, heart racing, pants ever so slightly shat. It took Greg a moment to realize he wasn't alone. So he finally got to you. Good. I knew you'd see the light. Maybe it was the premium half-gram indica heavy hybrid he just smoked, or maybe it was his relief at having finally made contact that allowed Greg to drop his guard. 
Whatever the reason, Greg turned back around to enjoy the view across the now quiet St. Denis Street. Bars and restaurants slowly cleaning up the damage from the hour before. Greg hardly felt the hands reach into his pocket to grab the keys. Instinctively, he pulled them back and barely registered the pressure of the push. What? Barely noticed the change in altitude until he'd already fallen two stories. The last thing to run through Greg's mind was the absolute lunacy of becoming a human projectile at the age of 23. This certainly was not how the maverick of the New World Order could die, right? Greg let slip a quiet little shit, followed by the loud thwack of his skull cracking on the pavement. The first person to notice the human pancake that was Greg was a young woman across the street sitting wasted in a windowless bar, aka Sarah on a normal Tuesday night. At first she thought that maybe a cyclist had eaten dirt biking down Saint Denis. Well this happened often enough, but what shot this theory to hell was the conspicuous absence of a bike. When through the drunken stupor she finally realized what had happened, she also let out a quiet confused as she approached the body, she noticed the Bodier bike keys dangling from his hand. She knew she shouldn't touch the body, let alone ransack it. But maybe, just maybe, it was alright this time. After all, the bike fairy doesn't visit you every damn night, and as far as she was concerned, she could give it a good home. So, would it be so wrong to just... rescue his bike? And then... And then... And then she wasn't sure what happened. A great blank emptiness overcame her. The rest of the memory was lost in a cloud of liquor and smoke. Chapter 10, The Boyfriend and the Bike. Sarah drifted towards LA's office in a daze, thinking about the young man who'd literally fallen into her life two nights before. What bothered her more than the sudden and unforgettably vivid image of the fallen angel pancake was that she didn't even remember it till just now. If she'd managed to forget about him, what else had slipped into the ether of her gin-soaked gray matter? And what the hell happened to his bike? What? Whoa. What? What? What followed was seven and a half seconds of silence too awkward to reproduce orally. What do you want, Sarah? I... Greg! You mean that piece of shit they're turning into a martyr outside? Um, yeah? Don't tell me you buy into that crap. Uh, no? Is that a question? I... God, I'm all turned around! What? Do you want, Sarah? For the second time that day, Sarah wandered into a shitstorm she had expressly meant to avoid. It seemed like the Alain she was talking with was not the Alain she'd gone to bed with the night before. So what changed? Look, you were gone when I woke up this morning, and I just wanted to... I mean, dude, are you mad at me? Why, why would I be mad at you? I spent three hours fixing your bike before getting a frantic call to rescue you from a bar where some leather-clad biker was feeling you okay, up. that's not exactly... Only to have his fat little friend follow me home, knock me unconscious, and steal said bike. Then I got to spend five hours in the world's shittiest ER before coming in to lecture a bunch of zombies who would rather be out in the street professing their undying love to a TA that never met than learning how to actually make a fucking difference in their city. Fucking red square zombies. All of them. Fuck. Wait. You fixed my bike? Yes, of course. What'd you do with the extra pieces? What? Is that all you took from what I just said? No. I'm just wondering. Did Dom take those two? I don't fucking know. I was unfucking conscious. Jesus, what crawled up your ass? Quite possibly any number of things. Like I said, I was unconscious. Okay, so why did you want to see me? You came to see me. Right. I swear to God, Sarah. 
You attract bullshit everywhere you go. And when I stand beside you, it, I, I get sprayed with it too. So what? This whole mess with Godwin and the bikers is my fault? Of course not. It's never your fault. Shit just happens to you without the slightest intervention or provocation. It has nothing to do with you. Who you hang out with or how much you drink or blackout. Fuck, dude. What the hell does that have to do with it? Where did you go after you woke up this morning? Ricks? Of course you did. A bar. Of course. I needed Sam's help. Sure, Sarah. And I just happened to be in a bar. She works in a bar. All your friends work in bars. When you spend your life crawling through the sewers, you're bound to meet some rats. Ouch. Wouldn't be so bad, except sometimes I get the feeling you're happier alone. You just call me in to pick up the pieces when everything goes to shit. Where is this coming from? I'm tired. I have a splitting headache, and my, my clothes smell like hospital sanitizer and biker spit, and this, all of this would be worth it if I only knew you cared. Dude, of course I care. Well, dude, why are you avoiding me? All last week, then again two nights ago, you blew me off to go drinking. How did you? And then again at lunch yesterday to avoid the talk. Well, yeah, I had to find a corpse. What? Oh, right. Look, just be honest with me. Am I wasting my time? If you don't want to move in with me, that's fine. If you don't want to be with me, that's fine, but fuck, make a choice. You sit on the fence long enough, you're bound to find a spike up your ass, you know? She stood there in stunned silence, with no escape and no idea what she'd say next. And for the first time, she had to really ask herself, how much did their relationship mean to her? As she opened her mouth to let flow what she could only assume would be a mess of verbal diarrhea, she was once again saved by the bell. Anna, just hold that thought. Hello? Yes, that's me. Wait, what? What happened? Fuck off. Really? And just like that, she was granted a reprieve from the death of their relationship by uttering four simple little words. They found my bike. Followed by the requisite. Shit! Chapter 11, The Shitty Bollier Bike. At 63, Francois Bollier was ready to throw in the towel. He was a bike mechanic, but more than that, he was a popular bike mechanic. He designed custom pieces for clients, making some out of lighter metals for those of smaller stature, or building secret compartments for those with something to hide. Usually that something is coke, but what the hell, it was the 70s, right? But to Francois, the bikes meant more than that. They were a way of reaching out into his community. Soon, he found a small group of like-minded activists looking to make real change. And in them, he found the family he never had time to conceive. Together, they formed a movement to limit the flow of traffic in the city. As a city, we can do so much to promote a sustainable, affordable lifestyle. The fewer tires that tread on this planet, the better. What he failed to realize was that the average Montrealer had no desire to bike in minus 20 degree weather. Their faces froze, their fingers fell off, their balls became ballsicles. And little by little, the idea of changing things turned to maintaining things, and then eventually turned to giving up. His business was booming, but the activist in him died as the group disbanded. Some left for private enterprise, others were drawn to lucrative teaching contracts, and others still disappeared into the dark world of local government. Francois sold out in his own way, by finding a market for high-end bikes and charging 10 times what he used to for a set of wheels. But after 56 years in the business, Francois was ready to throw in the towel. Maybe find himself a nice little spot down south where he could fry up in the sun wearing nothing but a speedo with a fleur de lis. Get away from all this red square nonsense that reminded him too painfully of his own failings from the past. 
And so, as the young man with ripped jeans, faded red mohawk, and squeegee tucked into the back of his pants wheeled a beautiful bullier bike into his store, Francois smiled without really paying attention, lost in his Floridian dream. That is, until he caught a whiff of what seemed like hot shit baking in the sun. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of ripe, isn't it? Jesus, what happened? Fuck if I know. What do you give me for it? In spite of the gagging and coughing, Francois brought the bike into the workshop to examine it thoroughly. Oddly enough, the handlebars matched the seat and the pedals, but the frame matched the wheels and the gear hub, and nothing matched the smell. Two separate serial numbers, one bike. What pushed him to call the police was the fact that one of the serial numbers was flagged as stolen. And so, in a half-hearted attempt at stalling the squeegee punk, Francois explained, I have a buyer who's interested, if you could wait. Whatever, man. I got time. He was surprised it worked, though maybe not that surprised. The punk didn't seem altogether that with it. Within 30 minutes, a reasonable wait for a pizza, but a poor one for a cop, an SPVM officer arrived. <coughs> Shit. gagging on the smell while detaining the punk. After a little back and forth, the officer decided to call the owner of the bike, and in no time at all, oh God. Sarah was gagging with the rest of them. I matched his serial number when he tried to sell it. And it's all there? Uh, all but the brakes. It's strange, though. Did you recently rebuild it with spare parts? Maybe. Is that a question? No. I mean, well... Whoever shat themselves, please leave. Oh, yeah, it's the bike. What? Found it in a dumpster. Wait, so someone stole my $2,500 bike? Took the brakes? And then tossed it into a dumpster. Yeah, dumpster filled with shit bags. You know, the garden shit bags they sell at Home Depot. Fertilizer? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so, can I get my money now or what? After the bewildered officer explained that the punk couldn't sell stolen property, each one gave their statements, and the officer was gone in a flash. Francois helped Sarah and Alain wheel the bike out back to wash it, first in soap, then bleach. Then, a lot of bleach. I think that might be, uh... Shit! It still reeks. I'm sorry, maybe just air it out for a while. Can we pick this up later? I, I need to get back. Look, why don't you just go and... Sarah, we need to talk. Francois quickly realized he'd found himself in the middle of an argument. Sarah, we need to talk. Though not a particularly mature one. I'm going home, Alain. What? It's not safe. Look, yeah, my bike smells like shit. And yeah, I gotta buy new brakes. And yeah, we both got a few scrapes and bruises. Concussions. We, we got concussions. But all in all, I mean, things are kind of back to normal. Except for us. Right. And Godwin. Well... As of right now, that no longer concerns me. Ugh, I can't, I can't fucking believe you. You just said you wanted to change. Yeah, well, you just finished telling me how you wanted to bail. Is so. that really what you heard? What do you want me to do? I want you to love me! What followed was seven and a half seconds of awkward tension, partly due to the L word, uh, but mostly because Sarah and Alain finally realized Francois was still watching them. Well, good luck to you both. Later, after shutting the shop for the night, Francois remembered the serial number on the bike, the one that wasn't reported stolen. In a fit of curiosity, he decided to run the serial number to find out who'd bought it. Huh? That's weird. The number was from the old system, the analog system, and so he thought it must be the bike. As he rifled through stacks of old papers in the storeroom, Francois landed on a small yellowed receipt, struggling to read the name. Finally, he saw it. Oh my god. Godwin. And Francois was once again filled with the bittersweet memories from his rebellious youth. Chapter 12, The Fucked Up Dream. 
Exactly two minutes after wheeling her bike back into her apartment, Sarah took a long, delicious, almost painful hit off her four-and-a-half-foot bong as a confusing medley <coughs> of thoughts swam through her head. Why did they throw away her bike? Why did it smell so strongly of shit? Well, pizza or just It was about this time, at the late hour of 3 p.m., that Sarah passed out on the couch, beer slipping from her hand to seep through her legs into the couch cushion. Oh, I only get two toppings? Sarah fell back and traveled deeper and deeper into her own messed up psyche. Oh shit! Godwin? She was exactly where she didn't want to be. Back in Godwin's office facing the man himself. Bloody screwdriver and all. Ew! I can't do that! Oh! Okay, but remember you asked for it! Sarah pulled the screwdriver from his head, once again immediately regretting her actions. Only this time, something was different. Godwin seemed to enjoy it. So... Thank you. I'd do it myself, but... Yeah, I get it. Death's a bitch. Heard you got your bike back. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. Though, kind of smells like shit. When life gives you shit, you make shiitake. What? I don't know. Well, I'm sorry about, you know, your death and all. Even if you were a cunt. That's okay. At least here I have no papers to grate, and a full head of hair, and I never have trouble getting an erection. That's good. On my line of work, you you always need to find the silver lining. Your line of work? Philosophy. Otherwise, the weight of a thousand minds thinking up the doom of mankind kind of sits heavy on you. Heavy. Sometimes you got to take a break and smell the fertilizer. I... What? And with that, seven Red Square student protesters goose-stepped into his office like a chorus line of angry youth. When life gives you some lemons, you make a lemon drink. No foolish fraud, people, you still can raise a stink. You kick, you swear, you punch, you give it all you've got. But when it's finally over, you'll still end up in a pot. Sarah watched in awe as each of the seven students took turns stabbing Godwin in the head with a screwdriver, each thrust more sensual than the last. What's the point of trying? What's the point of life? When everybody's dying to fall upon the bloody knife. So if the end is certain, why not face it like a man? With your cock engorged to plenty and without a fucking plan. Still, the students danced around him, plunging the screwdriver deeper and deeper into his head. Sarah couldn't help but feel aroused and somehow ashamed. Plain to see that meaning is anything you choose. So beware those who preach, without them you'll surely lose. The like that shit smell leaking from your now unstolen bike. The Red Square students I have led are ready now to strike! <laughs> this was an opportune moment for Sarah to wake up. Not simply because the dream had grown too intense, nor because the beer spilled down her crotch had been mixed with a touch of urine, but more importantly because her roommate was coming home, accompanied by an unexpected visitor. Well, hello, Miss Lee. Are you fucking kidding me? It's like not even 4.20 yet. Maybe it was the four and a half foot bong Sarah tried to hide behind her four foot couch, or the dense odor of pot, or the fresh stain on her crotch, but something told her she would not enjoy this visit. Chapter 13. Plot presses the point. 
As Pax Plant waited impatiently outside the door to Sarah's apartment, he couldn't help but choke on the overpowering scent of Sweet Lady Green slipping into the hallway. Ugh. He knocked repeatedly, but heard no sound other than a strange faint musical hum. On the verge of leaving, Plant spotted Kim walking up the stairs. Um, detective? Good afternoon. Was hoping to speak with Miss Lee. Uh, smells like she's home. Are you fucking kidding me? It's like not even 4.20 yet. Well, hello, Miss Lee. Detective. Hi. Ignoring the almost illogically thick stench of pot and ludicrously oversized bong only partially hidden behind the couch, Plant and Kim stepped into the apartment, only to be assaulted by a second smell. Oh my god, did you take a shit in here? It's the bike. You got your bike back. And it smells like shit? Uh-huh. Any idea why? Uh-uh. Listen, Sarah, once you're done with the nice officer, we need to have a word about our living situation. Yeah. Oh, did you see some bike parts lying around here? Is that a fucking joke? No. Uh-huh. <sighs> okay. The officer who filed the report said, uh, what'd he say? Your bike was missing its brakes? Uh-huh. He neglected to mention the smell. Uh-huh. So why the brakes? I don't know. Like I said, I think the biker dude had a brake fit. She stopped talking as if struck by a lightning bolt of an idea. Something so profound, it melted her skull and liquefied her brain. Wait, was Godwin's bike missing its brakes too? And Bingo was his name ho. Funny little detail to remember. So again, any idea why? Well, and I mean this honestly, I don't have the foggiest fucking idea. Huh. Why'd you go back to your office today? To get my stuff. Let's try this again. Why were you looking up Greg LaFontaine's file? What? How? Oh, my supervisor. Yeah, he doesn't like you very much. I wasn't... I mean, I did... But it was... I was curious. Curious? Yeah. About Godwin's TA. I wanted to see what that vigil was about. Uh-huh. Can I get you a beer or something? <laughs> Just, how are you involved in this? I... I don't know what this is. You can tell me now? Or I can waste the next few days finding it out on my own. Guess which one I'd prefer. Whiskey sour? I know it's girly, but you seem secure in your masculinity. We already How are you involved in this? How are these bikes related? Do I need my lawyer? If you want, yeah, it's your fucking right. But the longer you make this for me, the harder I will make it for you. I guarantee it, I will make it so hard. For a second, he thought maybe he'd gotten through Sarah's THC-addled brain and shaken some sense into her. <laughs> Then, sorry, it's a long and hard thing, you know, like, <laughs> a penis? <laughs> Frustrated, Plant weighed his options. He could bring her in for questioning. He could make her life a living hell, but he got the feeling her father would have her back on the street in six hours, and frankly, tailing her would be a better use of his time. As he stepped out from the apartment, he heard Sarah utter the words, Shit tickler. Good, he thought. He was starting to get through to her. As he made his way back down to his SUV, he reached for his phone and the caramel chocolate bar sitting beside it. He was amazed that in 10 minutes he'd actually gotten four new messages. Congratulations! You are the proud winner of our Bahamas trip package. Sunday found a few of us are heading to Ziggy's tonight for a few beers if you- We'd just like to make it perfectly clear that you have dinner reservations every single night on the cruise and all we need to seal the deal is your credit- yeah, hi, Detective Plant. Yeah, it's Jameson. Bolia, the bike mechanic, he called me up. Apparently, the stolen bike recovered earlier. Well, the majority of the parts were registered to a Miss Lee. 
but a few key pieces were registered to a Mr. Godwin. Like someone had taken his bike parts and crafted them onto her bike. Anyway, I'm not sure if that matters. Within five seconds of hearing this, Plant had changed his stance on bringing her in. He put his cardiovascular health to the test and very nearly failed as he hurtled up the steps to her apartment. But as he launched himself through the door, he was greeted by a- Motherfucker! She always does this! What? Oh, fuck. What happened? She left without talking to me and didn't even lock the fucking door! And with that, Plant realized that he had lost his best lead. Whether because he felt sick for not following his gut, or because he pushed his cardio too far, his body reacted in the only way appropriate. Oh my god. Ugh. Ugh. Wait, is that a caramel bar? Thank you for listening to MTO Bike Thief and the wonderful cast that includes Adrienne Richards, Eric Davis, Matthew Keyes, Corey Tomimic, Don Ford, Jonathan Dubsky, Jesse Sherman, Wyatt Bowen, Alex Gravenstein, Todd Finnell, and Simon Peacock. Narrated by Daniel Kay, engineering by Michael Fitch at Studio 2MO. Original score by Michael Fitch. Additional tracks, including Funkorama, Seafunk, Protofunk, Funk Game Loop, Back Vibes, As I Figure, Basswalker, Fast Talking, Controlled, Chaos, One-Eyed, Maestro, Pop Goes, The Weasel, Anxiety, Prelude in Action, Too Cool, Cold Funk, Back on Track, Cool Rock, Just Nasty, Dub Eastern, Anguish, DD Groove, Longing and Concern, all provided by Kevin McLeod. Acoustic Blues, Ice Cold, Namaste, provided by Audiotronics, and Direct-to-Video, provided by Chris Zabriskie. All of these I should mention are provided under a Creative Commons license, so thank you. You like what you hear? Well, keep listening and tell your friends. Hate it? Tell your friends it's great and watch their excitement melt away as you laugh in ironic judgment, you sick son of a bitch. The next episode can be found exactly where you found this one, so good luck.